Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Prime Minister unveils his new cabinet this week, and it appears Alberta is happy. Are we moving on? And how about them Leafs? Firing Coach Babcock. Was that the answer? Did you see it coming so early? And we talked to Winnipeg. This weekend, it's the Blue Bombers and the Tie Cats in the Grey Cup in Calgary. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has shuffled his cabinet. We talked about this late yesterday. Uh, moving Christia Freeland, who was, uh, you remember, uh, did a great job in foreign affairs, was born in Alberta, uh, born in Alberta, represents Toronto, uh, and now is the Deputy Prime Minister and is hopefully can take some of the, uh, the skills that she has uh, for working on international affairs uh, to bring the country closer together. Uh, meanwhile, Jonathan Wilkinson, uh, Saskatchewan-born, now represents North Vancouver, took over the environment portfolio. Catherine McKenna has shuffled, been shuffled as well. Uh, is this cabinet telling us something? What is the message we are, are being sent here? Let's bring in Michael Diamond, conservative political pundit. He is with us now. Michael, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Does this cabinet send any particular message? It seems that Jason Kenney was uh, pretty positive to the whole thing. Oh, look, it's good to see the premiers, and we've seen Doug Ford as well, uh, express an interest in working with uh, with the federal government. That's their job. But I don't think the prime minister, frankly, has done done his job. Krista uh, Freeland was definitely a very skilled minister at foreign affairs and before that in international trade. And I think all Canadians need to uh, give her a debt of gratitude uh, for the work she did to uh, work towards a uh, renewed uh, uh, free trade agreement uh, with, with the United States, obviously, Incredibly important to our uh, our future, but if the prime minister thinks that a member of parliament from downtown Toronto, to my member of parliament, is going to uh, settle tension with Western Canada, where I also grew up, uh, he is sorely mistaken. There were options on the table to include more Manitobans in prominent roles uh, in in uh, the cabinet, more British Columbians, look at people in the Senate to serve in cabinet from either Alberta or Saskatchewan, and he chose to ignore that and seems to be putting the national unity crisis, which is very much at this point a Quebec and a Western Canada issue in the hands of a uh, member of parliament from downtown Toronto, which, you know, I live here, I can tell you folks in the rest of the country don't really like us. <laughs> I don't know why you say that, Michael. Uh, any, they told uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> of course they have. That's hilarious. Um, uh, and we certainly know that the tensions that, that goes on and, and um, you know, the, the center of the universe and what the rest of the country thinks about that. Uh, that being said, it appeared that Jason Kenney felt positive about that. How do you explain his response? Well, I will, I will say that it, it's good again. Doug Ford as well, Jason Kenney, and Brian Pallister in Manitoba say some very, very good and helpful things to get the country moving on the right direction. Because one, uh, I, I do believe all of the premiers uh, right now, and we're very lucky that this is the case, do believe that Canada is a uh, is greater as a whole than the sum of its parts. So I think uh, we're, we're seeing premiers who want to work with the federal government uh, to get the job done, and hopefully we'll see see that likewise. I, on, on, in terms of competency. You know, Christopher Freeland is definitely one of the adults in that liberal cabinet. There's some very, uh, frankly, unimpressive folks around that table. Christopher Freeland is not one of them. She has uh, proven herself in two portfolios to be uh, a strong, a strong advocate uh, for for Canada on the world stage. So the premiers are going to be very happy to have 
her to deal with instead of the prime minister, frankly. Uh, that said, for your regular voters, I just don't know that it's the right message. Can she bring uh, the, the country together? It was fascinating listening to her talk about this yesterday, and I forget it. I wish I had a quote of exactly what she said. But even the way she positioned uh, her, her statement in regard to listening to what the West has to say and understanding uh, there's their issues. Even the way she broke it down in the presser, it, 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 she seemed to hit the nail on the head. Uh, do you think she can unite the country? Do you think? And is it a case of is it a case of Ottawa listening? Is it a case of the West amplifying their voice more? Well, I think it is a case of Ottawa listening, and uh, uh, you know the Prime Minister on many occasions, just like his father, has been pretty um, pretty hostile towards uh, Western Canada and Western Canadian interests. Never quite as vocally as his father, who uh, in my hometown would still be uh, quite uh, quite uh, hated, frankly, uh, because of his treatment of our province. Uh, but uh, uh, Justin Trudeau, not as bad as a dad on that regard, and not as hated as much as his father was in Western Canada. Uh, but I think you know. It's definitely a case of not just listening, but action. And part of the problem that this liberal government has is so many competing factions uh, within it. Uh, and uh, what we need is a government uh, to really, I think, settle tensions in the West that's going to allow Alberta's energy to get to market. Uh, a, a government that's going to work towards getting Manitoba and Saskatchewan's canola and pork to market around the world. And uh, that's what it's going to take is action. So listening, certainly part of it. Uh, but uh, but but folks uh, folks throughout the West are ready, I think, to see action and a recognition that uh, a, the, the rest of the country uh, we're, we're all doing well, frankly. Uh, but there's a lot of apprehension uh, on uh, the future of the economy and job prospects in certain parts of the country, and we need a federal government that's going to allow all parts to prosper, uh, not uh, not not uh, allow uh, turf wars. Can you, do you think that Christia Freeland can teach the Prime Minister something about the West? Uh, I, I think she certainly can, uh, you know, uh, having roots in both Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, Minister Freeland certainly will be more in tune with the concerns of uh, Western Canadians and the Prime Minister shall be more concerned, uh, shall be more more in tune with the concerns of ag, ag producers than, than this Prime Minister. So I think from the, those those perspectives, uh, hopefully he'll allow her to to help him connect with people because at the end of the day, yeah. you know, Deputy Prime Minister, frankly, it's not a real office. It's something that some Prime Ministers choose to have, some Prime Ministers choose not to have. It's not a constitutional office. It's not the Vice Prime Ministership. It's not right. like the Office of the Vice Presidency. Right. Uh, so, although it's a, a nice title, it's not necessarily the most important job unless the Prime Minister allows it to be. Uh, hopefully, the Prime Minister will work with her to be able to fulfill his number one role, which is national unity, uh, on his own. Uh, as you mentioned, it appears the premiers seem to be supportive, uh, specifically even conservative premiers. Why the change of tone, would you say? Well, look, the election happened. Politics is politics, but uh, national unity and good government is, is the most important thing. And I think uh, you know, even Doug Ford, you saw him prior to the election talking about that he'll work with whomever, uh, whomever the voters choose. The voters chose Justin Trudeau, not quite as uh, the same resounding way they did in 2015. But it's the role of the premiers to work with the prime minister who, uh, who uh, voters across the country choose, just like it is the role of the prime minister to work with the premiers uh, that the problem. 
Gender parity again, uh, how big an issue? That was a huge issue last time. Is it as, as big an issue this time or, uh, because now we are there? Uh, is this something now that they have to provide uh, moving forward? No, you know, I think uh, my my biggest critique of uh, Justin Trudeau's 2015 cabinet on the gender parity issue is that he decided to make it an issue. It would have been so much more powerful uh, had he just announced a cabinet that had equal representation uh, of the genders. So uh, I think it was good. It wasn't as big as a deal in the media yesterday because it's not the first time it's happened. But look, I mean, overall, uh, considering the caucus that was elected, it's a fairly decent cabinet. How would Christia Freeland uh, feel about her change in role? You know, it, it, it's it's funny. I just saw something on Twitter about the state of Canadian punditry where some some folks are saying that Christopher Freeland was demoted and others are saying that she was promoted and has so much on her plate. How could she possibly do her job? So uh, what what's true? You know, we, we've seen this in Ontario recently, too, uh, with the cabinet shuffle, where there was all speculation about people being demoted when it was actually a promotion. So I think that considering the challenges that face the country right now, this was a promotion for uh, Minister Freeland. And what about the the person that took over for is taking over for Christy uh, Christy Freeland Champagne? Your thoughts on? Hey. Go ahead. <sighs> Highly respected, was, was good, uh, was in uh, infrastructure communities, uh, I know was well respected by his counterparts in the country, particularly here in Ontario, and uh, uh, well thought of. So I think w- we'll do a good job. That said, with the heavy lifting that Minister Freeland did on the trade deal, uh, and we're not all the way home yet, it's less important as a, of a role. Uh, how significant the change uh, in environment with Catherine McKenna? You know, that one, I think, frankly, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of uh, Minister McKenna's agenda that she pursued uh, in, in the environment portfolio, but I do think uh, she was uh, delivered on the Prime Minister's vision. She worked very hard on that, and she took a lot on the chin, and uh, she deserved to have her choice, in my opinion. If she wanted to stay there, she deserved to stay there. If she wanted to move on, because after four years of uh, really being a uh, unfairly a, a target in a punching bag yeah. she deserved to, to do that so i i do hope that uh, uh she is uh, treated better by uh, members of the public and members of other political parties frankly i think it was deplorable the way people spoke about her uh she delivered on the prime minister's vision she did what she wanted to do so she deserves credit for that even if i disagree with the direction she took uh infrastructure can be a a, a very important but also a very fun ministry you're um, making happy announcements you're 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 building yeah. good things it's a legacy project I think she'll be very pleased to be uh, going down that path. Uh, what about her replacement? Uh, look, that uh, that uh, is very critical to have. I think uh, that's one of the portfolios that it was smart to turn to someone uh, from Western Canada for. Again, someone uh, uh, Wilkinson, Minister Wilkinson, yeah. uh, represents a Vancouver area riding, but uh, born in Saskatchewan. Uh, that's helpful. That's helpful. Uh, the, the three positions that I think were going to be really important to have people from Western Canada for. Uh, one was environment. One would have been natural resources. They chose to go in a different direction. And the other would have been agriculture. Again, they went in a different direction on that. But uh, this should be helpful. Uh, again, um, the vision of the Prime Minister and the vision of uh, Premiers Kenny and uh, Premier uh, Mo uh, are very different. But uh, at least they'll have someone who uh, understands the life of people on the prairies. So a strategic cabinet, in your view? 
In many regards, absolutely. I think, you know, uh, uh, Minister Wilkinson uh, definitely uh, selected that. There were other places where it's just uh, a little bit, uh, I'm a bit dumbfounded, again, having uh, uh, Dan Vandell, a member of parliament for Winnipeg, the only member of the uh, cabinet to represent a riding in the three prairie provinces, made Minister for Northern Affairs is, is preposterous to me. There's very real issues that are impacting the prairies uh, disproportionately, be it the natural resources, or even more importantly for all three of the provinces, agriculture, and to choose a uh, the only member of the cabinet from the Prairie Provinces to be Minister of Northern Affairs is uh, uh, perplexing to me. What, what can the Prime Minister do, uh, other than showing progress on, on a pipeline, what can the Prime Minister do to make the West feel a part of this, uh, because well, even e- even with all of these changes, it's still a, a, an extremely pro-green uh, uh, agenda, which is fine, but it doesn't seem to say much about the West at this point. Absolutely true, and uh, you know, it, to to satisfy some people in Western Canada, you'd have to go against uh, a lot of uh, the base of his party and of his caucus. So th- the way he can do that is number one agricultural issues, getting product to market, uh, getting tariffs lifted, that would be hugely important um, in Manitoba and Saskatchewan. It's not just the rural ridings, which are always represented by conservative members, and pretty much everything everything in Saskatchewan is now represented by a conservative member, but uh, the urban ridings are so interdependent, the economies of urban, of, of Winnipeg and, uh, and Regina and Saskatoon, so dependent on the ag sectors uh, that uh, that would be very helpful, I think. And the, the other thing is uh, really uh, not necessarily going down the path, but at least having a conversation, a national conversation about equalization. So I think the pipeline is certainly important, but uh, tariffs, ag issues, and uh, um, equalization are the other key things. And on equalization, he doesn't actually have to move necessarily. Let's just start the conversation. What about Seamus O'Regan and uh, taking on natural resources? Uh, he said in, uh, to the press the other day that, uh, you know, my province uh, is an oil province, too. Uh, does that help the discussion? Well, look, it, it's, it's absolutely true. Newfoundland uh, is actually a have province now, which I think uh, for many Canadians, uh, it's uh, shocking to learn that. But uh, uh, their offshore uh, oil uh, production has really been a huge economic driver there. So he's absolutely from an oil producing province uh, and in a normal circumstance would uh, be a, a normal fit. I, I really would have looked, I think, uh, to uh, Jim Carr, unfortunately, who had been a minister of natural resources, uh, wasn't included in yesterday's uh, uh, cabinet as he's uh, uh, on treatment for cancer and hopefully he'll uh, be back in cabinet very soon, obviously. Uh, but uh, looking for maybe, you know, on the Prairie Provinces is only an option in Manitoba, uh, but grabbing a Manitoba MP, uh, I think, would have been more uh, more uh, heartening to folks in Alberta than Seamus O'Regan, who also, unfortunately, uh, uh, on this seg- uh, sector, you know, he was such a disappointment and really a disaster at uh, Veterans, Veterans Affairs that uh, hopefully he does better here, but I think folks are going to come in with a low expectation. Hmm. Um, will the Trans Mountain get built? If so, is that the last pipeline? 
Look, it's going to be it's going to be very difficult because of uh, uh, the composition of Parliament. Uh, Justin Trudeau, although is lucky in that he has a very strong minority mandate and that he doesn't need um, he doesn't need more. He only needs one of the three official parties on any given issue. Um, the the pipeline obviously is one that's going to be offside with uh, two of those parties, and uh, that uh, he might find alignment with the Conservatives on that. But uh, the Bloc and the NDP will be very anxious to oust him over it on other issues where they may find alignments with the Conservative opposition. So uh, a rock and a hard place for the Prime Minister. Uh, obviously, we talked earlier about uh, the Prime Minister's uh, reaching out and the election's over and, and trying to uh, make peacemaker or be peacemaker and such. Doug Ford talking about meeting with the Prime Minister. What will that meeting be like? How long does this tone stay the way it is? Look, uh, I think that it's going to stay that way as long as both parties uh, want to uh, be cooperative with each other. I think Doug Ford has set the tone in a very positive way, and I think he did that throughout the election. The Prime Minister, on the other hand, seemed to have a crush on Doug Ford because he couldn't go five minutes without talking about him. And if I were the Premier, I'd be sending the Prime Minister a invoice for the uh, space he's taking up in his head. Mm. Uh, but if the Prime Minister can follow the lead of the Premier, I think it will be a very productive relationship. How ha- has the Prime Minister's tone changed at all with this new government and a minority situation? You know, uh, I I was uh, at a conference the other day and there was a panel talking about a uh, less boastful Justin Trudeau. And one of the places they pointed to was that he uh, didn't dress up for Halloween where every other year as prime minister, he wore a more elaborate costume than his very young children. And that uh, we are seeing a bit more of a humble prime minister uh, in in Justin Trudeau uh, being reduced to a minority government. We'll have to see, uh, you know, the throne speech will be very telling. Um, You know, the political gamesmanship uh, will also be telling if he thinks that he could go back to the polls and get him majority uh, soon. I think we'll see uh, a fairly uh, arrogant uh, government. But if he uh, if he is committed to trying to govern for a couple of years uh, before seeking a new mandate uh, or before being pushed out by the opposition parties, I actually think uh, Canadians could get the government that they, they desire. Michael Diamond has been with us, conservative political pundit. Michael, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Mike Babcock, gone. Now, some were saying, well, you know, it had to happen. But then, it, you know, it was sort of, it was almost like the Don Cherry firing. We knew something had to be done. We just didn't think this would hurt so much. Uh, to talk more about all of this, Scott Radley is with us, a sports writer for your Hamilton Spectator and host of the Scott Radley Show, show heard weeknights right here on CHML. He is with us now. Scott, thank you for the time. As always, much appreciated. Anytime, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well. Lots to talk about. Uh, l- let's start with uh, the obvious, that being the firing of Mike Babcock. Surprised. Uh, many thought that changes had to be made, but were surprised it happened so early. What are your thoughts on this? Uh... Yeah, I, I think that's probably the the thing that a lot of people think is that it just it looked like it just wasn't working, and there were no signs that it was starting to work. And I think that's the issue. Is Did that, he need more time, or like you said, it didn't look well, like it was getting any better? It, it, you know, I I don't know that more time helps. I mean, if you're if you're five feet up in the air and you drop a stack of cue cards. Uh, and you hope that they're going to land in the shape of a Christmas tree, sorry for the weird metaphor, 
Um, You've thought about this one, haven't you, Scott? Well, no, but it's about the time thing. But if you're dropping this thing and you hope that, like, whatever it is, if you drop it from five feet and you hope that it's going to land in a certain pattern, is it going to get more likely that it's going to drop in that pattern if you go up to 500 feet? Yeah. I mean, it seems that it becomes less likely unless you're seeing signs that things are moving in the right direction. If you've got signs that, you know, all right, the, the power play stinks, but it's, it's looking better and the penalty kill is awful, but it's starting to show some signs that it's coming to life. There was none of that. And so more time, you would think, is only going to lead to more things going wrong, less organization. Um, you know, there's, there's a thing called the second law of thermodynamics. Everything goes from a state of order to a state of chaos. That's what was happening here. More time was just creating a worse situation. And so, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised. In fact, I, I, I had kind of really expected last year after they lost to Boston. Well, there, everybody was talking about this last year, specifically right. with matchups and ice time and, and not giving the Stars enough ice time against Boston and such. Exactly. I, I mean, um, is this a continuation from last year? That, that's why the short oh, string sure. this year. Of course it is. I mean, if he if he had won a couple of playoff rounds last year, this start would have been concerning. But I would I would be willing to guarantee this would not have happened. Guarantee this would not have happened. But when you have, here's the thing with Mike Babcock. The guy's been a great coach. He's a Hall of Fame coach. There's no there's no there's no taking shots at his no uh, his record and everything else. If there's something to take a shot at, it would seem that somewhere along the way. Remember the interview that he did a couple days ago where he goes, I always bet on Mike Babcock? Mm. Well, it seems like somewhere along the way, that betting on Mike Babcock became less about betting on Mike Babcock than betting on Mike Babcock's philosophy. Mm. And he seemed unwilling to budge from the thing that he believed has worked in the past and will work again. Trouble is, sometimes when you're a coach, when you're a boss of any corporation or whatever, you see that something's not working, you have to say, you know what, okay, I'm going to adjust. And if I've got somebody who's really good at this, I'm going to try and put them in a position where they can use those skills rather than saying, you know what, I know you're fantastic at this, but I'm wanting you to be this. Presumably, you hired. They'd be like, okay, Scott, you're, 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 you're great on the radio. You're a great radio host, all right? I want, but I'm hiring you to work at Chorus, and I want you to go and do advertising. Well, why would I then hire you in the first place? I want because then I'd have to, to wear a suit. You, well, that's true too. But I want you to do the thing that you're good at, not try and jam you into a role yeah. that you're not good at. What's the point of having you if we're not going to use your skills? And that seemed to be the place mm. in the last little while that that the breakdown has happened. You're asking players, it seems to do stuff that they're not cut out to do. So, so how do you get from one of the greatest coaches? Because when this guy was signed up, everybody's, wow. And then, you know, I mean, the the uh, the results were almost immediate. And, I mean, even compared to the slump that they're having this season, lots of Leaf fans are looking at the past and saying, well, this is still better than what we had. Uh, what about his reaction to this? Do you think he was caught off guard? I don't think he was caught off guard. But your question, how do you get from there to here? When you have great success like he did, doing something a certain way, I can certainly understand. Yeah, you don't want to give up the come, system. Yeah. Well, you can come to believe that that's the way that it yeah. works. Yeah. And, and as I say, he just it seems like a stubbornness to say, I won't change that. If we just keep doing it for longer, eventually it's going to come around. Well, right. there were just no signs that was happening. 
Mm. Uh, what about the players? What about their responsibility here? It seems like we got a lot of high-priced talent and not a lot of gut. Uh, well, we're going to see. Um, we're gonna, we're they gonna have see. to win the next game, do they not? I mean, isn't that a given? Uh, uh, well, Don't most of the time when a coach gets fired and basically walks the plank for the team that the, co- the team steps up? You would think so. Um, here's the thing. Do they have to win this next game? I mean, you would say so if only for the standings. You want them to get going. I think what you have to see in this game is you have to see evidence that suddenly they've woken up and they're going to do something different. And, um, I mean, the reality is that there's not a lot of practice time right now. They're on a road trip and they're playing today. So it's not like he's going to have the new coach, Sheldon Keith, is going to have time to implement his system or work on that too much. So basically all you're doing is maybe some minor tweaks. I think the big thing that everybody, everybody is going to be watching for is, and you mentioned it, is ice time. Are we, going, are we going to see more of Austin Matthews and John Tavares and maybe them together at times? Maybe load up a line here or there. Now, you know, the, one of the big knocks against um, Babcock was that in recent years, I mean, going back to that Game 7 in Boston, Austin Matthews was an underutilized asset. He's one of the best players in the league. Then he was getting yeah. limited minutes in certain circumstances. And that, brought, that, lot, that drew a lot of attention, yeah. Of course it did. Mm-hmm. Of course it did. When you've got a guy who... I think I think about a month ago I was looking up the number and he was something like the 60th for, for not player 60th forward in the league in ice time and it's like okay I know he doesn't kill penalties and the Leafs have taken a ton of penalties so that cuts into the amount of ice time but all right that would mean though that when he's not killing a penalty when the team isn't shorthanded you know he's a young guy he's what 22 23 he's in terrific shape I think he can probably do a double shift or do come off for a shift. And then, I mean, you don't have to roll the lines. Get him on the ice more. That's, that's especially when you need a goal. And, that, and that's where I think a lot of the people are looking going, Mike, come on. You've yeah. got this terrific player. It'd be, like, it'd be like back in the 80s with the Oilers. And they say, you know, yeah, I know we've got Wayne Gretzky here, but come on, we've got to get our fourth line on. We've got to get Ken Lindsman more ice time. Well, it seemed to be obvious when they were playing. It seemed to be obviously that when they were playing Boston last year, and, and Boston just kept double teaming and playing all the stars and ba 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 ba. And like you said, Matthews was on the bench. Uh, what about the new incoming coach, uh, Sheldon Keefe? Uh, obviously from the farm system. What are your thoughts? Well, um, the- how does he feel walking into this these shoes right well, now? Well, I mean, no, I think he's I think he's delighted. I mean, look, he he so, had offers to go yeah. to other NHL teams. There were teams that came calling. He got a big pay increase last year to stay with the Marlies uh, so he would stay in the organization, um, presumably with the thought that at some point he would get this job. So yeah. uh, he, he's good with it. And he has had success literally everywhere. I mean, he started with the, um, the junior team at Pembroke, won, I think, five straight championships, became coach of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, did very well there, then with the Marlies, won championships. And he's got a long track record with Kyle Dubas, so... Um, there's every reason to believe that you know he'll be okay. The one question, and I think it's a fair question, is that when you look at his track record with the Marlies, which is terrific. I mean, his 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 results there have been outstanding. You do have to put a tiny little asterisk beside it because it's Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. They have more money than anyone else, pretty much in hockey, and yeah. that organization, that Marlies team, has been run unlike almost every other AHL team. I mean, he has had a loaded roster. He has had 
better circumstances, better situations, better travel, better everything than almost every other team there. So now he's on a level playing field. I still expect him to do well, but it's, it, you, I don't think you can look at those numbers in the minors and go, they're obviously completely transferable to the NHL. How does this translate for the rest of the season for the Leafs? Uh, say they had continued on with Babcock, now with a new coach. How are they gonna, how, how, the, how would the ending be different? Well, the answer to that question is going to depend entirely on whether or not this has any kind of impact on the way the team plays. I mean, if they suddenly how do you think the team is? How do you think the team is feeling today? What's it like oh, in the I locker think, room? Uh, again, who knows? It would depend entirely, I would think, on a couple factors. But the obvious one for the players is what has he said is going? Is what what is he doing right away? Like, if you're a guy like Tyson Berry, the guy they traded for, big defensive, star offensive defenseman they traded Nazem Kadri for, came in here, has had a terrible year. I mean, just an atrocious year. What's, what is Keith going to do with him? Does he give him a new defense partner? Does he maybe play him with Morgan Riley for a while? Does he put him on the first power play? What do you do to change things up for the players to make them feel like he's giving them a chance to succeed? And so I think that's going to be the, you know, it's a very short turnaround from Babcock yesterday to yeah. a game tonight. There's not much he can do. So are the, play, I, are the players happy that Babcock's gone and a new, uh, you know, a new day? Or are they sorry and feel remorseful because perhaps this is on their shoulders and they got to take it up a notch? It appears that a bunch of them were about ready for a change. Uh, I mean, that's the impression you get. I mean, I haven't... Uh, uh, my buddy Austin and I have not had dinner lately, so I haven't asked him. Um, and even if I had, he wasn't going to tell me. Hmm. Um, but the fact is that, no, I, I, you you saw that there appeared to be, at times, bristling under the Babcock system. And so we'll see. I mean, the, the, here's the thing about this. Kyle Dubas, the general manager, has built a team that is with their skill set, probably best to be playing a certain style of hockey. Babcock, that was not his style. He wanted a grinding, hard, big-body, heavy game that he just didn't have the bodies for but wanted those guys to play it. So if Keith comes in and installs some defensive structure so they don't keep getting horrible play in their own end, but also allows them to use the skills and the style that suits them better up front, I think you will see a bunch of players who are suddenly very, very happy. And we know what happens when you have a happy employee. It doesn't always translate into wins or into success, but often it does. And so we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Today's, I don't know that today is going to be, if you watch the game, I don't know if today is going to be a perfect illustration of what's going to happen because, again, the turnaround has been too short. But I think that you will clearly, within a couple weeks, start to have a sense of what kind of coach with this team Sheldon Keith is going to be, and then you can start making some assessments on whether it's going to work. What do you think Don Cherry would have said on Coach's Corners about this on Saturday? <sighs> That's a great question. I think, I think Don Cherry would have lashed out at the players for not fighting for a great Canadian boy like Mike Babcock. I think so, too. Works hard, two-time Olympic gold medalist. Yep. And um, it's my, that's my bad Mike Babcock impression. I should have done a Don Cherry. You asked for that. But... Yeah. Um, no, I, I, look, it's, it's unfortunate for Babcock because he really he is a guy with a great track record. He is a highly successful coach. And there are teams out there that have the personnel that probably could very successfully implement the Babcock system. 
and have a lot more success with it. Will I he be out of work long? The group. I think he's owed something in the neighborhood of $23 million still on his contract. It depends wow. how much he likes fishing. Wow. I mean, he can afford wow. to sit out for forever if you yeah. want. Uh, you know, some team is going to fire, some other team is going to fire their coach this year. Sure. And again, I think that a lot of coach, a lot of owners, a lot of general managers in the last few months have seen the system that Babcock likes to play. And I think they will look at their own team and say, do we have the personnel that Babcock would fit for us? Because again, I don't think if you've got a team like the Leafs that is fast and light and skilled, I don't think that they're going to be the ones that are going to become calling to Babcock. But if you've got a big, heavy team that can grind a team down and you need a coaching change, he may well be getting a call from them. And it would make sense. It would absolutely make sense if you had that kind of team. All right, let's uh, got a minute or two left. I, I don't think we've discussed this. Uh, your thoughts on how the whole Don Cherry thing played out? Um, I thought you know, it was quite unfortunate the way it ended. I thought there were mistakes made on both parties' part that could have led this to a teaching moment, which would have kept the country uh, a little less divided than what it is now. I'm I'm sorry that they couldn't arrive at that conclusion. Uh, perhaps wait a day, cooler heads prevail, and then somehow package something that would have been a lot better than what this was. Um, you know, I, I fault the organization for firing him on the day that he was actually trying to promote, that being Remembrance Day, and yet he on not perhaps uh, coming to the middle ground and looking for that teaching moment where we could have moved on and kept the kids and parents happy. Uh, it's unfortunate it ended the way it did. It is, but it's, it's symbolic or whatever the word is of a bigger issue that we have in society right now, and I mean this sincerely, and that is whether you agreed with Don Cherry or didn't agree with him, We've reached this point now, it's that cancel culture thing, where if someone disagrees with you, they must be gotten rid of. They must be shut down, they must be put away. And we do this on both sides. Mm -hmm. And we can't have a discussion. The bigger problem to me is, and we saw this in the election with Trudeau and blackface, we've seen this with other things, if someone shares your political views, we will find it in our hearts to excuse them from almost any misbehavior yeah. or misdeed or misspeak because they're one of the good guys. But if you disagree with them, mm-hmm. they must be destroyed if they say something that is to you offensive or upsetting. And it's not helpful. It's not, yeah. I, I'm not arguing you know, what Don Cherry said, and, and I really I don't believe the man is a racist. Yeah. I don't at his heart. I think it was very bad choice of words under yeah. the circumstances. Yeah. But the reality is we have this thing where, you know what, If I argued this on the show. If you were terribly, terribly, terribly offended and screaming that Justin Trudeau should be banned from public life forever for his behavior with the blackface, then you should probably be okay with Don Cherry being fired. And if you're screaming for Don Cherry to be fired, on the other hand, because of what he said, boy, you better not have voted for Justin Trudeau because of the blackface, because then you're being a hypocrite. Yeah. But we don't. We, we, we give all kinds of leeway to those we support, and we come down with a guillotine on those with whom we disagree. And I think it's not helpful. I think it's, we don't want to listen. We just want to either cut people off or excuse any kind of behavior. Yeah. 
It's unfortunate that, um, you know, as one ages, it used to be the knowledge and wisdom that they that they took with them and could teach the younger people. And now it's, well, if you can't work your iPhone, you're gone. Well, it, it's amazing we, kick, it's we kick an 85-year-old man to the curb, yet we're taking a 15-year-old uh, climate change activist and raising her on her shoulders, and she's never had a job, nor has she an education. So, Well, it, I think she also used the phrase, you people, didn't she? <laughs> um, besides that, though, let me just say one thing. I know you got to run. Yep. But I also put a lot of blame on the folks who run Rogers and run Sportsnet, because mm-hmm. they made, and CBC before that, yep made a fortune off Don Cherry being controversial and saying things that got yep. people upset. Yep. And they never had a problem with it because it brought in lots of money. Yep. And they would say, oh, that's just Don Cherry. And this time, when he does basically just the same thing he's done for so many years to great riches on their part, they get some blowback and suddenly they decide to get rid of him. Look, again, not defending the wording that he used. It was mm-hmm. clumsy, it was bad, it wasn't good at all. Agreed. But boy, oh boy, they they also, to me, look really bad in this. Yeah. That you take the person who makes you wealthy and pays your bills until it's not convenient anymore, and then, oh, I guess we can't have that stuff anymore. That's what he's been doing forever. Scott Radley has been with us, sports writer for the Hamilton Spectator and host of the Scott Radley Show, heard tonight between 6 and 8 right here on CHML. Uh, Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, uh, you'd have to be under a rock to know that uh, not to know that the Hamilton Tie Cats uh, in Calgary for the Grey Cup playing the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, both teams looking to break a streak. To talk more about all of this, the legendary Bob Irving is with us, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on Global News Radio 680 CJOB in the Peg, and is with us now. Bob, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. No problem, Scott. Good to be with you. So, what is the buzz in the peg today? Did did the city did the city see this coming? Uh, well, I think at the start of the season, the city saw it coming or hoped it was coming. Anyway, the Bombers were very highly regarded going in. As a matter of fact, a lot of people saw them as the team to beat in the West, even though Calgary's the defending champs. And then they got up to a five and zero start, which only heightened expectations. And then they went through a period late in the year. They had some injuries and they struggled. And then I think the fans in Winnipeg were kind of down on them a bit. But at the end of the year, they won their final game against Calgary. Then they beat the Stampeders in Calgary in the semifinal. Then they beat those rotten riders in Regina in the Western final. <laughs> and so the, the the high hopes that were there back in uh, June have been rekindled. Uh, I'm in Calgary. I just talked to my son who's flying here for the game. He's on an airplane now, and he said it's packed with bomber fans wearing blue and gold. And so I would say the uh, the hopes are back up there, right, very high again. It's amazing with the quarterback situation in the CFL how everybody found themselves in the same spot. Yeah, that's right. Well, the bombers, and of course, the great story with them is they lose Nichols, and Chris Strebler comes in and plays very well. Uh, and then he gets hurt, uh, and fortunately for the Bombers, they had acquired a guy named Zach Kolaris at yep. the trade deadline, and uh, Hamilton people know him very well, and uh, nobody quite knew what to expect from him because he hadn't played for a year uh, other than the first game of the season when he got hurt in Hamilton, suffered another concussion. But 
uh, he's been like Moses. I mean, he's played terrific in the three games he started, and he's probably as big a reason as any that the Bombers are in this great cup game. A lot of storylines, cool storylines. Zach Kolaris, a great example of that for us, him being, of course, a former tie Cat. How much does that add to this game? Because there, there's a lot of somebody that knows somebody from somewhere. Yeah, I think the storylines are unbelievable. I've been to a lot of great cup games, and I can't remember – one quite like this where Hamilton has a quarterback who came on because of injury and has been sensational. And then you got the Kalaris story with Toronto, then Hamilton, then Saskatchewan, then traded to Toronto and then traded to Winnipeg. And now in the, the Great Cup game, the head coaches, um, yeah. Orlando Steinauer and Mike O'Shea won Great Cups together as players. They won Great Cups together as assistant coaches. They are very fast friends, and now they go – up against one another, and the, I guess the biggest storyline of all is you've got two franchises. Winnipeg, it's been 29 years since they won the Grey mm-hmm. Cup, and Hamilton, it's been 20 years. Uh, great players. The uh, player awards are being handed out tonight. The Ticats have four finalists. The Bombers have three. So the stars are all going to be on the field on Sunday. And, yeah, it's one of the... It's one of the best matchups I've seen in the Great Cup in quite a while. What about the buzz in Calgary so far? I mean, uh, not the weekend yet, but still, uh, people starting to make their way there. Yeah, it's pretty good. Today is the day when the fans uh, really start coming in from out of town. It's always the case, Great Cup week. Thursday is the big day uh, for the out-of-towners, and then Friday more of them roll in, and then some come in Saturday, too. So you don't see a lot of evidence yet. Uh, I was at a media availability this morning for the Hamilton Tiger Cats and uh, around the downtown area. Not a lot, but in the next 24, 36, 48 hours, we're going to see lots of uh, of the CFL teams represented by their fans wandering through the streets, uh, some of them fairly sober and others not so much. <laughs> and all enjoying pancake breakfast, I'm guessing, too. Yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on here in Calgary. There are some things that are just very much Calgary, and that is one of them. Uh, what? How do you see this game shaking down? Because again, uh, you know, every season, every team's got a story in this league so far this this year. Uh, obviously, the Tie Cats had a phenomenal season, a phenomenal yeah. record uh, with their with their backup quarterback. Uh, is this is this going to be a blowout? Is this going to be a closer game than people think? Are we going to see some surprises here? Well, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I never expect the Grey Cup game to turn out that way because the teams that get here, you know, are usually pretty good. Uh, And so uh, the prospects of a blowout to me are never very real. I know the Ticats had a sensational season, Scott, the 15-3, and I guess the best season in franchise history. They are the favorites. They're uh, they're slight favorites, uh, and so they should be. You know, they had the best team in the league during the regular season they played two games against winnipeg and beat them on both games one of the games in winnipeg that i recall very clearly the ticats came in and it was kind of billed as the game of the week in the cfl two of the top teams and hamilton just ran roughshod over the blue bombers in that game uh so yeah they're they're favored to win but i certainly don't expect a blowout the bombers at the end of the year after some yeah some struggles came on very strong with a win in calgary and then a win in Regina. When you win two road games in Calgary and Saskatchewan to get to this point, you have really accomplished something. And there's something about this Winnipeg team, and I'm from Winnipeg. I do the broadcast of their games. There's something about this team uh, that that I don't know how to put my finger on it, but they have got something going for them right now. And Kolaris has been a big part of that. So 
I would say the Ticats are favored and should be favored, but I don't sell the Bombers short for a minute. And I'm hoping, as I do every year at Grey Cup, that what we have is a fantastic game uh, that attracts millions of people uh, to watch it across the country and has us talking about it for weeks and months ahead. What will the weekend be like in the peg this weekend? How much behind this uh, team is this city? Uh, we've got viewing parties here. I'm sure you got the same thing going on there. How has this gripped the city? Well, everywhere you go in Winnipeg, uh, it's go bombers, go bombers. They're you know they're a big part of our community. They always they have been for many years since they were formed way back in 1936. Uh, and uh, the fact that they haven't won the Grey Cup for so long uh, and have a team that is there now and has a chance at it again really has people fired up. And I think the way they got here again, those two wins on the road in Calgary where they always lost and in Saskatchewan where it's always tough to win, have uh, really got the people fired up in a way that's that's quite unique. So, yeah, I expect uh, the city to come to almost a standstill on Sunday afternoon at about 5.30 Manitoba time when the game kicks off. Okay, you're in Calgary now, Bob. You're talking to people in Hamilton. Uh, I'm guessing nobody in the peg is listening to this whatsoever. (laughs) That being said, do you want to venture out and make a prediction on this? Well, I don't like making predictions because, you know, it's it's easy to make them, but it's... It's kind of, it's sort of a fool's game, I think. I would predict, though, this, that people who expect Hamilton to win this game handily uh, are in for a a rude awakening. I just don't think this Bomber team, uh, the way it's played the last three weeks, is going to get beaten handily by anybody. I think we're going to have a real tight game. I really do. And it's going to come down to the latter stages. I won't be surprised a bit if Hamilton wins. Uh, Not a bit. But nor will I be surprised mm. when a pig wins. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, I can. Uh, I don't think this is one you can take lightly. That's for sure. No, nope, for sure. Bob Irving has been with us, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, on Global News Radio six eighty CJOB. Bob, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy the weekend in Calgary. All right, thanks, Scott. I will. The Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to three on nine hundred CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts, or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.